0: From the AutoLine studios, here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Topic for today's discussion, all about the Consumer Electronics Show. And we're doing that because we've got somebody who's got all the answers, or he better have, because we've got Gary Shapiro on today's show. He is the president and chief executive office officer for the Consumer Technology Association. Gary, great to have you on AutoLine this week. I am so honored to be here and excited to talk about CES. Cool. That's great. We've got a lot to get into. Also joining us this morning are Pete Bigelow from Autoblog and Keith Naughton from Bloomberg. Great having the both of you here today, too. John. Likewise. Thank you. You know, Gary, this is a show all about the automotive industry, as you well know. I'm not sure 10 years ago we would have ever had you on here, but oh, my gosh, is CES developing such a strong automotive presence. Describe how you've been able to build it that way, and it seems to me like all the planets are lining up perfectly for this show to become even more of an automotive show.
1: Well, it really started with Visteon probably about 20 years ago. They showed a concept car. and It's interesting, a lot of those concepts became reality. Uh, but generally, there's two things happening. One is consumers want technology in the cars. They want it, and, and sometimes Detroit actually doesn't do it quickly enough, so there's the aftermarket comes in first. Now, that's changing. But the second thing is, consumers are also comfortable with brand names. So partnerships form between well-known brands in consumer electronics and the auto industry. And when a consumer goes into that showroom, that brand of a a stereo system might have put them over. Now it's gone way beyond that. It's about, it went to navigation, and it went to backseat video, and now there's so many other things going to the car having to do with connectivity and the internet. So, the concepts of change and those businesses that are succeeding are the businesses which go across the industry and cut deals, and we're seeing that. That's why the CES is not just about the automobile industry and the electronics industry, it's about Hollywood and Madison Avenue and the investment community, everyone else, all the world's innovators coming together in one place in Las Vegas, 150 to 170,000 people, trade only, over 5,000 journalists, over 50,000 people from outside the United States, and they're do, there to do deals.
2: So when I went to the show uh, this year, I wandered first into the hall that was sort of maybe the old-fashioned CES. It was a lot of, felt like homemade, like a bazaar almost, of electronic and audio. And then I wandered into the other hall that was automotive, and I really felt like I was at the Detroit Auto Show. I wonder,
1: how the automotive presence is changing ces well that is true we get questions both ways well, well the auto shows are designed for the public that's the, the and the press and they're focused on cars which you could buy right away the ces is the opposite of that most of the cars there are not for sale for a while they are concepts being shown and there are also we have the suppliers that are there so for this year for the first time qualcomm and nvidia Components makers have said, we want to be part of the auto industry. So they've shifted to that hole, that huge hole of 200,000 net square feet where the auto industry is. And also we, we have the, the, the Delphi's and, and the um, Johnson Controls and Bosch and others that are there as well. It's, the point is, is that that is where the auto industry is going to see that not the future of, that, of 2016, But the future of 2017, 2018, 2020, and not only that, we have the Secretary of Transportation coming, they're doing a super panel with the CEOs from Qualcomm and Bosch, and we have two auto keynoters even.
3: What I think is fascinating is, I think from an automotive perspective, maybe last year it was about autonomous cars, it was about the sensors that make this technology work, and that seemed to be what the automotive companies brought to the table last year. This year, and, of course, it comes right in the name. I, I, what I, I get a sense that companies are bringing products that are much more consumer-facing uh, in the sense that uh, there's going to be interior demonstrations of what the interiors of these cars look like, these, these uh, you know, connectivity uh, products that your consumers are actually going to use within these cars. And I, th- I think maybe that's a trend I'm picking up on in the early, early products that I'm seeing that are going to be debuted. i wondering if you get a sense of what's going to be the automotive theme this year. I will be honest and say I have no idea um, because I don't.
1: Uh, The the companies really don't tell us or show us unless they want us to know. And a lot of publicly com- traded companies don't want us to know. But, but the, the, the size is what's amazing to me and who's there and how it's coming. And and the, and the sense that, you know, I think at the Detroit Auto Show, a lot of international press does both shows. It's actually convenient for both of them to do that. In terms of what they're, what they're showing, though, you're right. It, this whole Internet of Things, the connectivity, it really comes in part from the smartphone because smartphones are so ubiquitous. That the sensing devices, and them chips are allowed literally pennies apiece. and now they're being put in a car along with other car sensing things. And, and you could clever people could create new businesses and new business models. And look where we're going to, you're going to get in your car. And you're going to sit in that seat. And not only are you going to get around without having to drive, it's going to tell you if you're about to get sick and what you should do about it. It's going to alert things. It's going to, and these issues that are coming up, which are really fascinating about privacy, and I testified in a congressional hearing about this, the Internet of Things and Cars, and the members of Congress are saying, oh, everything is private. You own it. I said, no, you don't. Why should you own your windshield wiper information? Why should you own your location, whether you've gone over a pothole or had a car accident? Or if you're in a car accident and the first responder comes to the car, shouldn't they know if you're alive? and how many people are in the car. So we're going, we're heading in a direction clearly towards a driverless car, but also in a whole range of other services, including health, that, that we're not even talking about now.
2: So, Gary, you landed Mary Barra, GM CEO, as a keynoter, which was a great get. But now you have Volkswagen coming as a keynoter, and, of course, they're in the news for Dieselgate. Is, is that part of what you're trying to get, is companies that are right in the news that there's something going on, or was it just serendipity that...
1: VW showed up. Well, I really have to be honest here. It, it was somewhat serendipity. We invited VW when we heard they were interested in launching an electric concept car at the CES. And we did that in the summer, and we cut a deal. Mm-hmm. Then everything happened, and we had to do some real soul-searching, honestly. Um, and we decided that, look, a, a core value of ours is we keep our commitments. Mm-hmm. We made a commitment to a person who is no longer there because of this this challenge mm-hmm. they're facing. But they had a replacement, and they have something to say. And And who would be gain if we said you can't show an electric car which does have great environmental benefits so we ended up saying this is important um and and we're going to move on because that's what we do and it's it's we also stand by those of our they're a member of ours as our 2,000 other companies and we like to stand by companies when they're down i don't think you could ruin a whole company based on one choice of a few executives all of whom will probably be departed
0: when this is all over Gary, it's so impressive to me to see how fast the automotive component of CES is growing. As you mentioned, you're going to have 200,000 square feet of exhibit space. If I remember the numbers right, there's something like 115 suppliers involved in that, nine OEMs, including, as Keith just mentioned, Mary Barr is going to be there unveiling the production version of the Chevrolet Bolt EV. Volkswagen's going to be showing off their electric concept car. We're, We're seeing automotive reveals happening at this thing seems to me that this is almost i don't know if threats the right word but you you you're definitely siphoning things away from the detroit show which is very much the very next week well, as a resident of
1: Detroit, I would never say that, and I don't feel it either, because I really do feel it's different, and there's even the type of cooperation where press go to bre- both events internationally, um, and they're consumers and we're trade, so yeah, it's probably executive time that's being siphoned off more than anything else, because it, the, the consumer auto shows are long events, especially the Detroit Auto Show, So and, and we're close by, but look, what makes us work is the fact that we're after Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, and people are ready to go to Las Vegas and do some business and, and get away from their
0: families uh, how, so. how high up is up for you guys you, you've added 25 percent more floor space just for your automotive uh exhibitors and as you well know better than i do probably there's such a convergence of technology silicon valley and i, I don't want to just say detroit it's really the automotive industry not right. just here in detroit right. but what a connection that's happening right there it seems to me that there's even a lot more upside growth for you Well,
1: we are space constrained for for this year and next year. We would have sold more than 200,000 square feet if if we had it, actually. We don't. Uh, So our show will set a record footprint at over 2.4 million net square feet. We ended up at 2.25 in 2015. So that's a lot. And we actually announced an attendance cap for the first time in our history, or any probably trade show history. We had 176,000 people from around the world. Um, not open to consumers, and we, we are trying to get hit between 150 and 170 this time just because we want a good, comfortable experience. We want only qualified people, so we're really putting the screws on you know, anyone in the Las Vegas area and consumers. And plus, we, frankly, we want to keep the uh, air, airfares and the hotels at a reasonable price, hmm. and right now they're not. Uh, It's about $1,000 a night in Las Vegas, and that concerns us. So Las Vegas has more hotel rooms than any city in the country and has three of the 10 largest convention centers. We're using all of them. We're using a lot of hotels, and we're hoping they'll grow as well, frankly.
2: You know, NVIDIA, I I talked to them before last year's show, and they were talking about how five years earlier, what they were showing, the power of their chips was being used in video games, and they said their display was 90% video games. And this year it was 90% automotive with all the infotainment or autonomous technology that they're involved with. Are you seeing that transformation as well? In other words, long-time display companies at CES that traditionally had done other types of
1: consumer electronics now showing automotive. Absolutely, Nvidia had a phenomenal press conference last year. I was watching the videos of it, and it was mostly autofocus. And they had said, physically, we want to be with the car companies. We don't want to, and and they were one of the ones like Qualcomm, which moved. That's a big statement. But yes, the the, the because of this move to the driverless car and all the intelligence and chips that's going to require, mm-hmm. companies are saying strategically, we want to be there. This is going to save you know, just in the U.S., over 30,000 lives a year soon. So how do we help get there? How do we get a piece of this? Everyone's going to want to do it. It's one of the, you know, the Internet's definitely the big shift that we're talking about in technology, you know, these last 20 years. Well, the next 20 years, a lot of it is going to be the driverless car. That's pretty big. And that'll make a difference. Now, there's other things at the show, which I know you don't want to talk about, like wireless health and stuff like that. There's a lot going on there. Um, but the, the auto growth at, is phenomenal. And, and new companies coming on board. Now, we don't have Tesla, but we have their new competition, which just announced a multi-billion-dollar facility in Las Vegas. And they're going to be revealing a car there, I think. Faraday Future. Faraday Future, yes. yes. right? And we'll right? And we'll see. Well, I don't know anything about them other than the fact that they're going to be doing it. And they've gotten a lot of money and they have big announcements. But we'll find out more soon.
0: You
3: mentioned that the CTA is, is 2,000 companies roughly comprised in your organization. How many of those companies are, are auto-related, and how has that grown in, in recent years? Wow, that's a very difficult – it's definitely grown in recent years. Um, I'd say and, – and is uh,
1: we have um, Lyft and Uber. Are they auto-related? We have a lot of companies that supply the marine uh, environment. In fact, our, our auto electronics guys just voted to change their name to vehicle electronics because it's just not about automobiles. And there's a lot of different ways people get around. It's what Mark Field of Ford is talking about. You know, it's, it's about mobility. It's about getting around. So I'd say a, a significant portion of our organization, not, not most, but at least close to half. Probably deal in one way. We also have, you know, all the major retailers like Walmart and Circuit City and, and and the car specialty guys. We also run something called the mobile electronics certification program. And this trains thousands of young Americans and elsewhere in the world, and it certifies them, actually, as being competent in dealing with an automobile and putting electronics in. And when you, you have to know upholstery and electronics and, and safety. You have to know so many different things to be able to do that and people to trust you with their cars. And it's increasingly important as we shift to a driverless car, because if we wait for original equipment vehicles to have these driverless function we're going to lose literally hundreds of thousands of lives waiting as the entire fleet turns over so we have to have an aftermarket for that as well and that's been a discussion topic in congress
0: i love what you're saying there too because that's what we've got to get focused on is that this technology can save a lot of lives and we shouldn't be wringing our hands over oh can we do this or that the other thing because as you're putting it People's lives are at stake here.
1: Oh, absolutely. When I, I go around the world and talk about this, and everybody obviously knows people that have died or, or lost limbs or, or paralyzed from car accidents. We can get, we, it's in our power, technologically, to get rid of them, and it's a crime if we don't act in it. Now, there is a debate in the auto industry. Does the driver have to be able to take over? Will the, I mean, uh, one of the major auto executives worldwide swore that my company will never, ever produce a, dr- a car that you cannot take over. I guarantee you, 50 years from now, he's wrong. Come back and collect on it. Good luck. Uh, But the truth is. It'll (laughs) happen a whole lot sooner than
0: 50. Well, well, five uh, years.
1: Absolutely, of course. But I mean, in terms of. Every car will be that way at some point. Now, there is a driving experience, and some cars, some of the car companies, that's what they're selling is the driving experience, or some other similar language like that. So it's, it's going to be rocky for some companies. It's going to be difficult. It's going to this. And then, of course, you have the, the Uber phenomena and change how we own cars. I was talking before, the uh, airport managers, about the future of what's going to happen with their airports and technology. And a number of them came to me, I just built all these parking structures. I'm not going to need them. What's going to happen? That's my capital investment and revenue stream. Well, it's going to change. Will you need those parking structures in cities and in airports if you could have a car that you can call at any second?
2: You know, you're in Washington in the middle of a lot of political debates. I guess your organization is responsible for airplane mode on our phone. Yes, we are. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So... (laughs) So is the regulatory environment, is the legal environment, is the political environment ready for autonomous cars?
1: No, we're not ready yet. In fact, I was very much involved in the transition to high-definition TV, which involved a lot of industries and involved standards. And the stakes weren't as high, frankly, as, as for the transition to cars. And what the government did, which was brilliant, is the administration at the time said, we're going to get industry and government together. We're going to have all the stakeholders, all the different government agencies involved, and we're going to put in room. President Obama has room to do that now. He's a year left. If he, If he Believes in autonomous cars, he has the opportunity to stand up and say, We're going to get everyone in a room and we're going to move this process forward. Not with the government mandates, but with all the different things that have to happen. Take just signs that are recognized when you're driving. We see them with our eyes and we can turn them. Well, there's a hundred different styles of signs. They blink, they turn how far away you could see them. And there, there's, there's alternative ways of doing things, and you could put magnets in a road to, to guide a car. You, you could have the lane strips that are recognized. There's many different ways. Well, You get uh, technicians and engineers in a room, they could solve problems because the bigger picture of saving the lives and shifting that, they will agree on and go beyond what their company's bottom line is, to do something better for the country and better for the world.
3: So, Sorry, go ahead, uh, Pete. When you think about autonomous policy and that regulatory environment, do you foresee – I guess my question is, who's liable for an accident if it happens? Because that seems to be a, a bottleneck right now, trying to th- discern who who's going to accept that responsibility.
1: And that's a great point because... The legal issues are definitely unresolved. But they were like that. Even when credit cards were introduced, people we said, oh, what's going to happen if someone steals my and uses it? Congress came along and said, you know, you're only responsible for $50. Well, credit cards took off. We're dealing with similar issues with the Internet now and cybersecurity. We're, we're, and, and, and there's intersections of privacy and, and, and national security. I mean, there's so many things going on at the same time. This is not the biggest issue. We will resolve the issue of liability. And, you know, who is the car going to choose to kill, the kid or the the passenger? You know, I mean, those are tough theoretical questions, but we will come up with ways of dealing with them. And the fact is that technologically those decisions will be made better and lives will be saved. And those those small things where those tough, tough things like who do you kill or who's liable, we will deal with them in some way.
3: It is fascinating that, you know, right now we have 30,000 something deaths a year. And eh, beyond the, the, you know, your blurb in the local newspaper, we don't really seem to care about those people dying, to be, to be blunt. But when, when we get this 90 percent improvement and we have a machine deciding, uh, you know, who dies and it's maybe 2,000 people a year. Uh, there's a lot of interest in, in how that, that decision is made, essentially.
1: Well, but those 90, over 90%, 90, 95% of those deaths are really human error. The actual cars themselves contribute almost nothing. It's, I heard it's less than about 100 deaths a year, actually, because of a car a really serious car malfunction, as opposed to someone who didn't change their tires. I mean, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. And and, and look, the challenge is we've been able to solve drunken driving for years, and we've done nothing about it. You know, 30 years ago, you could have required a breathalyzer or something to get into a car, and we still don't do anything about it. But yet, we focus on distracted driving. People falling asleep are a big issue. Um, I think everything we have to do is look at proportionally and, and, and what, the, what the numbers are. And like 30,000 deaths a year, look how upset we are over a few deaths in the United States from terrorists. We're changing everything we're doing as a country. We're going through sec- We are doing things we've never even thought about doing in the current presidential debate for a few deaths we've had a year. I know great, maybe potentially a lot more, but with cars, it's definitely 30,000 a year in holding. And we can do something about that. And that's just the U.S. Globally? Absolutely.
0: You're talking a million. Yeah. A million. And, and, that, and even in the U.S., over two million are injured badly enough to go to a hospital every year, every year. And so it's fascinating what you're talking about in this technology. Not only do we have the opportunity of reducing 90 percent of all the fatalities, 90 percent of all the injuries, so we're approaching a future here where we could free up 2 million-plus hospital beds every single year. Could have a huge impact on health care costs in the country. A huge
1: impact on health care costs, and there will be people affected. Imagine, Look at all the jobs that have to do with driving. Look at the tow truck operators, the collision repair people. There's so much this is going to affect the economy. There's going to be a lot of discussions about that, I think, more than who's liable. is What are you going to do with all these people who are unemployed? And that's a, a, even a bigger question outside the United States, because we have a lot of other alternatives here. In other countries, drivers and things like that are, are a bigger proportion. But we will resolve them because the benefits are worth it. Just the way we, we've extended life through, through health care and through drugs and through different things we do, we can now, you know,
0: we can stop killing ourselves in our cars. Gary, where do you see other connections? Between automotive and technology, I mean, you, you've got this this great smorgasbord of technologies that show up at your show every year in Las Vegas. Are you going? Whoa! One are these two guys, or are these two industries going to get together?
1: Well, obviously, the entertainment industry is getting into the car more. If there is a driverless car, you'll be able to use those entertainment devices and have a lot more free time instead of getting stuck in rush hour, as I am often when I'm in Washington D.C. and occasionally in Detroit. Um, but there are other areas as well, uh, healthcare. You, you, in the car, uh, diagnosis, things like that, your car will be able to tell you what's wrong. Learning, Right now, cars really don't learn the ways you go to work or the way things you do or they don't get that much. They get real-time feedback and you have to act on it. And which slow, they don't learn which way you usually go to work. Um, so they're, they're, we're gonna get better in terms of how cars get direction. Di- obviously, we're moving in the right direction on diagnosis of cars' problems, but it'll get better and better. But the systems are getting more complex and, they, and the connection to the internet is obviously the, there's great things you're going to learn a lot, but there's also the, the risk that if you're connecting up, you're connecting down and connecting down. There's a lot of malicious stuff going on in the world, and there'll be efforts to try to take over a card. One's been pretty publicized that some journalists did. It was, it was, it was a nice trick, uh, but I think we'll be able to deal with that, and that won't be the biggest issue.
2: These, these issues, these public policy issues we're talking about, uh, including hacking that you just referred to, is CES a form that could tackle this in some of your... Um, Keynotes or panel discussions—is that a proper form to hash out some of these issues?
1: Yeah, we're going to have a number of the cybersecurity efforts from around the world uh, talking about that. We have a cybersecurity area. We have some of the top CIOs from around. Uh, the country speaking, um, and 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 they're talking about it. Whether, whether they're talking about it in the car environment a, a little bit less, so I think they're talking about it overall because this is an issue we're facing society. I mean, everyone's computer system is hacked almost immediately as soon as you plug it into the internet. So there are issues there. Uh, would you ever invite the white hat
2: hackers, like the guys who uh, hacked the Jeep and Wired, uh, to
1: speak at, at CES? Uh, that's that's a good idea. I'll take that. <laughs> in the Not in twenty sixteen. <laughs>
3: Well, it is interesting that you have all these these Silicon Valley companies who who are much more uh, accustomed to dealing with hacking threats, uh, you know, at CES. Now seeing those threats appear in a car, you know, that's just you know one more small part of that merger between Silicon Valley and in Detroit, where you you know there is that opportunity. Probably at a place just like CES for for those relationships to be uh, built upon. Absolutely, and, and, and you're not going to stop hacking is the bottom line.
1: You, you're gonna be able to isolate it and make sure you, you're aware of it and, and you can act on it quickly. That's the bottom line with all hacking. I mean, mm-hmm. most computers are getting, especially government ones, are getting thousands of efforts to get through, and they do get through, but they're isolated. You know, you, the cloud has actually helped and the cloud also can be used for a lot of the car information. Right. Um, so that's, it's, it's a form of uh, cyber protection. Right. What do you do after knowledge. the hack has already
0: happened? When it's that's in the, there, that's really do, the how do you
2: prevent the maliciousness? Right.
0: Right? Here, as you well know, uh, we're talking about all this connectivity. It's going to play a huge role in automotive. The automakers want this 5.9 gigahertz part of the spectrum to do all this connectivity. The telecommunications companies want that 5.9 because they want to open up the spectrum to do more uh, wireless communication. Does the Consumer Technology Association take any position on this, and is this going to be any point of discussion at the show? It's a very finesse
1: position, because we represent the car makers as well, and those telecom companies you're talking about, since we, we have a very, very big tent. So one of the, the the bills we're pushing through Congress, it would actually open up government spectrum for different uses as well. But we've maintained a long time ago that if we want to get to where we should be as a country, we need Big spectrum opened up. Now, most of the spectrum, the best spectrum, is being used by TV broadcasters, and it is barely used because, you know, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, there's three networks, and we, got, we all had antennas, and that's what we use. Now, less than 5% of the American public actually relies exclusively on those antennas, antennas to get their TV signal. So, that's, they're just squatting on it. They think they own it. They really don't. But it's, there's an auction starting. Um, in mid-2016 where some of it's going to be freed up. That will be used. We can get some government spectrum. And then around the fringe where there's a little bit battle, um, I guess the best industry will win. I don't know. I, we're staying out of it is what I'm politely saying. There, there, I think cases are it's, a good case can be made for both. I think obviously cars have to communicate but we also, consumers
0: expect full motion video, wireless broadband to work wherever they are. But I come back to the lives saved. The telecommunications guys aren't going to save it by getting more of the spectrum. The the car industry can save a lot of lives. That's a good argument to make. Yeah. Hey, another thing, uh, you changed the name of the association recently. It used to be the Consumer Electronics Association, now Consumer Technology Association. I know it's a fine point, but why would you change the name? We changed the name because technology
1: is, is the future, electronics is a little limiting and technology is broad. It includes not only all the telecom companies and the car companies, but it also includes the sharing economy companies, the Ubers and Lyfts and Airbnbs and Pandoras uh, and Boingo Wireless, you name it. They're all members of ours and a lot of them are our leadership. And, they, and we're out there fighting for the fact that what we're seeing in innovation and technology Is going to fundamentally change the world. So the problems we're talking about today—car accidents, healthcare, food production, um, safety—we're going to solve those problems with innovation and technology. Even the environment. uh, President Obama was talking recently about how the answer really to the the carbon emissions issue is new technology. He's right about that. You know, trying to cut back emissions, new things. Yeah, you should. You should make those efforts. But reality, new technology, new ways of producing energy will come along. So our view is is that although we're doing great, and you know, there's some people say you should never change your name, you're great when you only do it when you're weak. We're we're looking towards the future also. And we believe technology is, is the answer to the world's problems. And we want CES to be
0: positioned as where all innovation for some of the major problems of the world are being solved. With that, we're going to wrap this up. That's a perfect place to end it. Gary Shapiro, thanks so much for coming on this show. It's going to be fascinating. I, I, I'm going to be there, and I can't wait to see what's going on at the Consumer Electronics Show coming on. We're glad you'll be there. And, of course, I want to thank Pete Bigelow coming in from Autoblog and Keith Naughton coming in from Bloomberg. Great to have the both of you here on the show today, too. Thank you. And, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, thank all of you out there in the audience for watching this. I hope you appreciate the show bringing you the topics that are really driving this automotive industry. And as we learned today, it's going beyond just automotive. And so please join us again next week for another edition of AutoLine This Week.